G'day guys, Dan here from Epic Drives Western Australia. Thanks for joining me again. We're the channel that's dedicated to everything outdoors and adventure in Western Australia, predominantly ball driving, of course. Well, this is episode two of the Epic Drives Western Australia podcast series. And today I'm gonna to talk to you about a couple of things. Firstly, Google Street View. A new track that's about to open from Mundaring all the way down to Albany. My plans for the summer in relation to fall drive trips, of course, and YouTube episodes. We'll talk about some tips, fall drive gear, and camping gear. I'll also share a story of my travels as well as some slightly off-topic subjects about the Billman and some interesting WA history. Okay, so first up, the very best news that I've heard this month would have to be the opening of a new four-wheel drive track which has appropriately been named The Track. It begins in Mundaring and ends in Albany or vice versa, however you look at it. And this has been made possible by the West Australian Four-Wheel Drive Association and it's taken a lot of people a lot of years to make this track a reality. This track's not designed to be a mud runner's paradise or anything like that. It's more about an alternative route, about being more connected to nature as you make your way down south, the scenic way, as opposed to just traveling down the highway, which nowadays to Albany takes you about four and a half hours, whereas this track will take you four or five days. Now the track is designed to be accessible for most four-wheel drivers, even all-wheel drivers. But that said, obviously in the wetter months, you're going to come across some washed out bits of track and mud. But the design is for a safe passage and not extreme at all. So as I said, it can be suitable for all-wheel drive vehicles and it's ideal for those of you who take along your camper trailer. You can't go out and just buy the old-fashioned paper map. Instead, you'll need to download it, and they've got a few options of how you can download it, and essentially you stick it on your tablet or on your phone or in your GPS, depending on the type of data that it uses. You can also just download it onto Google Earth and work it out from there. And the reason for this is because, just like the Bibbleman and the Mundabindi, Department of Parks and Wildlife have their controlled burns, there's of course bushfires, there's flooding, and a track the length of Mundaring to Albany is no doubt gonna have parts that are at times inaccessible. So the track will then have to deviate and use different roads. So by having it as a, a downloadable live map, any changes will be made and then when you download it, as long as you make sure that you're downloading it relatively close to when you're going or you know on the day you're going, a few days before, it's going to be the best possible route. You're not going to run into troubles of having to quickly find another way around a section of track when you're in the middle of nowhere. If you want to check that out, all the information that you need can be found at the WA4 Drive Association website, which I'll link in the description if you're listening to this on YouTube, or alternatively, you just head straight to the Western Australia Four Wheel Drive Association website, which is wa the number four wda.com.au forward slash the track. And the best bit is, it's all completely free. How good's that? You don't get many things these days that don't have a a catch. But this is just a here you go, 
click the link, download it, away you go, free. Now one of the things that I really, really like about this trip, it's not predictable, it's not using tracks that you know are well-worn that we all know and just joining the dots. This track actually doesn't cover routes along the coast. Instead, it traverses inland and uses the forestry tracks as well as various other tracks, making it new and interesting, even for those of you out there who are the most seasoned of four-wheel drivers. It's 930 kilometers, which gives you a couple of options. Either you can take on sections, day trips or overnight trips, or opt to just do the whole thing in one go, which will take you four to five days, as I said before. And I'm sure that this kind of track will appeal to four-wheel drivers, obviously, all over Western Australia, but all over Australia too, and who knows, maybe even the world. So accommodation-wise, there's plenty of options. You've got your standard and my personal favourite bush camping and taking all your gear and taking all your gear out and making sure you don't leave your rubbish and all that sort of thing. Then you've got the small towns along the way that you can pull off the track and stay in a B&B or a farm stay, or you can stay in the towns in the caravan parks. One thing that's good about this track is it does go through towns that are less frequented by the usual crew heading down the highway to go to Margaret River and yelling up and all the standard usual that. And perhaps the most incredible thing about the track is that the trip from Mundaring down to Albany seems to just be the beginning. There are plans to make this track around 4,000 kilometers long. So obviously this is on my immediate to-do list. And I'm also planning a lot of trips down south this summer. And I know, like I said before, everyone heads down south in summer. It seems to be just about as predictable as the Western Derby. But I got a lot of ideas to travel tracks that are less worn. No doubt they're known about, but they're not the usual obvious places to go. I guess you could say a little less known about. So if a trip down the track or a two, three day trip down south sounds like something that you might be interested in, then head over to my Facebook page. I've started a group. Join the group and let me know that you're interested. I'll update with what my plans are and where I'm thinking of heading and you're more than welcome to come along and it's a group page so by all means feel free to post content that you feel is applicable to my page whether it be about four-wheel driving ideas on trips in Western Australia anything really just try and keep it on topic of the outdoors in Western Australia and as well with the trips that I'm doing this summer, I'll be making episodes for my YouTube channel, but I'll also be writing trip notes with all the GPS coordinates on there, and you can download those, print them off, and away you go. And they're also all completely free, and they're on my website, epicdriveswesternaustralia.com. So heaps to come this summer. I've actually had a really busy month, and it's had nothing to do with four-wheel driving or anything to do with my channel. We've actually moved house, so been packing up and unpacking and cleaning and all that kind of stuff. So I haven't had a lot of time. However, one thing that I have done this month is I was very fortunate to be a part of an interesting project to do with the Bibbleman track. And it was using Google's 
360 street view camera, which is called the Google Tracker. And it was converted so it could be worn as a backpack as opposed to attached to the roof of a car, which is normally how you see street view. And we were the second team. There's multiple teams. We did three days out on the track and we started at a place called Gringer Creek Hut, which is one of the places you can stay on the track. And we hiked all the way down to Lane Pool and filmed the whole thing. It did make for an interesting spin on fantastic, but usual hike down the Bibbleman. However, I didn't know at the time and I found out when I got back that there's actually a complete blackout on using any of the footage. So I spent three days hiking and a week and a half making this video and I'm not sure if I can actually even upload it. So worst case, I've got a video that I can watch myself and show my family. Best case, I've emailed the relevant people and they're going to get back to me so it could possibly be on YouTube within a few weeks. But saying that, it was a great experience and something that I'm extremely grateful for being given the opportunity to be a part of. Wow, another day. You know, being a four-wheel driver is something that anyone with an off-road vehicle and some basic skill and knowledge can get stuck into pretty much straight away. And I started with zero gear and just sort of acquired the stuff that I needed as I went. So the first thing that I bought was an air compressor and I also bought a tyre repair kit and a digital tyre pressure gauge. And I've also made a whole video on that subject. I'll link it just in the description above if you're watching this on YouTube. So I won't go into it in too much detail and I'll put a link to it just above if you're watching this on YouTube somewhere at the top there. But what I will say now is an air compressor is one of those absolute must-have bits of kit for your four-wheel drive if you intend on going off the highway. In fact, they're good to have when you're driving on the highway. The reason for that is simple. Say you get a flat tire. Well, no worries, you just chuck on your spare tire, wouldn't you? But what happens if that spare tire, or another tire for that matter, has a problem and is flat or blows out or whatever? Well, then you've got a problem. Now, you could go and grab a tire repair kit and plug the hole, but then you've still got to fill it up somehow with the air that's come out of it. But perhaps for us Forbias, the most practical use of an air compressor is to reinflate tyres that we've purposefully deflated. And that might be because you're driving on sand or mud or rocks or whatever the condition might be. Now, if you are one of those people which I'll put my hand up, I've been guilty of before, who run tyres at highway pressure off-road, you do run the risk of firstly prematurely wearing out your tyres and potentially a tyre blowout, which is essentially where your tyre just explodes. And if you're travelling down the highway at 110 in the country and that happens to your car, well, you can imagine, I mean, it, it can be fatal. And a lot of people, me again included, have thought, well, I'll just wait till I get to the first servo. It can't be too far away from the track and I'll reinflate my tyres. Now, the problem with running tyres that are low on pressure on the highway is again wearing them out you've got softer tires you've got more grip so with more grip comes more wear and so don't be one of those people who just decide to run 
the standard pressures that you always run your tyres on the highway everywhere and wait till you get stuck to air down. Now I am my own worst enemy when it comes to that because it takes 10 minutes and you know I get a bit excited, I hit the track, I drive for a while, I start putting it into high four, I end up in low four and it's not until I'm well and truly down the track that I even get out and air down. Now I'm no doubt wearing my tyres out prematurely but also I've come to the realisation that the damage that you're doing on the track may not be noticeable until you're heading home and a lot of tracks we travel hundreds of kilometres down the highway so at any point during that trip home over countless times of not taking care of tyre pressures I'm potentially putting myself and my family at risk so I've made the conscious decision now whenever I get to a track I've got an idea of what it's going to be like the minute I start hitting corrugations rather than speed up and try and fly over them which is taking away control of your car I'll air down slow down and I'm not only treating my tires correctly but I'm driving more responsibly as well so if you're new to four-wheel driving or for whatever reason you haven't got around to getting yourself an air compressor well stick it on your Christmas list what a perfect time of year to get yourself a bit of kit that will become the most used bit of kit in your arsenal air compressors cost anything from 50 bucks to 900 dollars you can spend even more if you want you can spend thousands of dollars on an air compressor generally you do get what you pay for but I don't think you need to spend anywhere over a grand that's for sure so my advice would be look for something around the 200 to 400 dollar mark and while you're there some other useful tools would be a digital tire pressure gauge as well as tire deflators and i'll put a link to all that sort of gear in the description below and it's the gear that i think is suitable and not just rubbish so as i've sort of been going on about now for a while learning about tire pressures is one of the most valuable skills that you can learn as a four-wheel driver because it is the most effective way of changing your car's performance off-road because when you think about it obviously the point of contact with the road is your tires so essentially it's the easiest mod that you can do to your car and it's completely free now most of the time you are going to be deflating your tires however as i said before you must make sure that once you do hit the highway again you're reinflating and that could even mean just a quick highway run that is only a couple of k's it's tempting to leave tire pressures down but what happens when you're running lower pressures on the highway is as i said before wearing your tires out but more importantly if you do have low tire pressure on the highway and you take a corner you're running the potential of running the tire off the rim and that can lead to catastrophe you can roll your vehicle if that happens another bonus of deflating your tires off-road is it does preserve the track you're not spinning wheels to climb over obstacles as much as you are with fully inflated tires because you are giving your tires more grip so it preserves the track so the most obvious question is well what tire pressures should you run and unfortunately there is no magic formula that works for every vehicle because there is a lot of variables and everyone eventually develops their own preference as they gain more experience and the type of conditions that they typically drive in so i'll give you my typical off-road situation Normally, driving from home, I'll drive along the highway, of course. Say I'm following a river from beginning 
to end. So down to the ocean, it'd start off with an unsealed road, corrugation, maybe a bit of bulldust, that sort of thing. As traveling along, it might get muddy and boggy. And then towards the coast, obviously sand, sand dunes, some sharp sandstone and beach driving. And that's all in one day. So that's an awful lot to be asking of your tires. And that's before you take into account the extra weight that you take with your four-wheel driving. You fill up your fuel tank or tanks, water with you, camping gear, four-wheel driving gear, your tools, recovery gear. Not to mention you might have the whole family in the car with you or a camper trailer, caravan. So all these factors we don't sort of think about when we start driving off-road with our tires. You need to factor in when you're driving off-road, particularly when it comes down to your tires and tire pressure. Now the best advice that you're likely to get is from a tire center that either sold you the tires or sells the same brand of tire that you are currently running on your four-wheel drive because obviously these guys are the experts. So doing a little bit of homework before you head out is a wise investment of your time. But essentially, the type of pressures that you should be running on your four-wheel drive will be based on firstly the type of vehicle that you're driving plus all the other factors that I mentioned before, all the extra weight that you're taking with you plus anything else that may require special attention. So I'll give you an idea of how I run my tyre pressures on my Hilux. So I've got a set of Yokohama Geolanders, they're 265s on 16 inch rims. And the recommended PSI for highway use is 40 PSI front and rear. And that's because I don't have a canopy or anything like that. So once I hit uneven, corrugated, unsealed roads, I'll often drop my tyre pressures down 5 to 10 PSI. So then I'm sitting at around 30 to 35 PSI. And what that does is it softens the ride a little bit and it also protects my tyres as they're a little bit softer. So the sharp rocks that you're rolling over aren't causing your tyres potential damage. And if the road gets consistently rough, I'll drop them another 5 to 10 PSI. And then I could be sitting at around 25 PSI and at that pressure, you wanna make sure that you lower your speed a little bit. Don't exceed 70 kilometers an hour. Because with lower tire pressures, what happens is you run the risk of actually running the tire off the rim. So you wanna be careful of speed, but as well cornering. So if you take a corner quite sharp, there's a lot of force going onto the, the edge of the tire that's connected to the rim and it can actually just peel it off. It's potentially as disastrous as a tire blowout. And then once I reach a section of track that requires me to put my four wheel drive into low range, I'll drop my tires once more. So then I'm sitting at about 20 PSI. Now, when you're getting down to these sorts of pressures, it's all about traction. So I keep my speed down to around 50 kilometers an hour, and I'm very mindful at this stage with regards to cornering at speed. Now there are situations where I drop my tyre pressures even lower than 20 psi and that's mainly when I'm doing beach driving, driving on sand, driving through dunes. And the most tempting thing to do when driving along the beach is to go up nice and close to the water's edge because when you look at it, the sand's a lot firmer there. But the problem with that is sure it is firmer. But if you do get bogged very close to the water's edge and if the tide comes in, well, you're going to get your car swamped with seawater and goodbye 
car that's plenty of YouTube videos of four-wheel drive fails, don't become one of those guys. So in those situations, what I'll do is I'll drop my tires even further and I'm sitting at around 15 PSI and that's just my benchmark pressure. If I do find that my tires are spinning or I'm getting bogged, I'll drop them right down. I'll go down to 10 PSI. However, as I've previously mentioned, you've really got to be careful with really low pressures in your tires, especially beach driving where you tend to, to keep a little bit of momentum going, a little bit of speed to keep yourself on top of the sand, but essentially what you're doing is at 10 PSI, you've doubled the tire's footprint on the road. So the tire's able to essentially float on top of the sand and you shouldn't have to be racing along the beach just to keep yourself on top. You wanna be extremely careful. If you go and take a turn to get off the beach too quick, your tires come off and I have seen that a few times with guys not, not doing the wrong thing, not driving like idiots, but their speed was just a little bit too high as they came off the beach and it's really hard try and change the tire in soft sand. And it's also extremely dangerous. Not a place you want to be with a tire that needs replacing. On the subject of beach driving, I've actually got some trip notes complete with GPS coordinates and turn-by-turn -turn instructions that will allow you to print them off and just take them with you and read them as you go with a little bit of preparation beforehand, of course. And if you haven't ventured north of Lancelon before, then perhaps this trip might be of interest to you. I often neglect going north in favor of heading south for beach locations for my Forby, but if you haven't been up that way in the four-wheel drive before, definitely at least check it out. And the trip notes head from Lancelin all the way up to Sandy Cape and 99% of that trip is off-road. It's definitely a trip to consider taking at least two to three days to drive. If you're into fishing and taking in the sights, then plan to take even more. I'll link it in the description below or you can just head to my website and look under the blog section, epicdriveswestinaustralia.com. The trip starts in Lancelin, which is a really, really popular tourist spot it gets extremely busy on the weekends and holidays but the sand dunes there are worth checking out if you haven't been up that way before and from there it heads north to sandy cape stopping in at places like dyed bay wedge island gray hangover bay the pinnacles cervantes lake thetis southhampton bay and durian bay if you're new to camping and you're considering doing this trip there's some things that you would want to consider taking with you. You don't need much, however, taking the right gear will make your trip that much more comfortable and memorable. And the trip notes and all that are completely free. All I ask is that you do go for the right reasons and respect the track. And if you all do our bit to keep the area clean, then places like this will remain pristine and hopefully open for off-roaders well into the future. Now for this trip, besides your usual camping gear, which I'll cover in more detail in a future episode, but you'll need a decent shovel with a long handle so that you can dig your car out of deep sand if you get stuck on the beach. A set of max tracks or the equivalent like treads, any recovery board, some sand pegs for your tent, plenty of sun cream, hats, sunnies, an onboard UHF. If you've got the ability to attach it a sand flag to help make yourself visible whilst you're cruising through the dunes, 
an air compressor is a must tire deflators digital tire pressure gauge all the things i mentioned before fishing gear if you're into that snorkeling or diving gear and don't forget your bathers in the towel there's so much up that way that in fact you need to really take multiple trips to see it all it's often a few degrees warmer as well than perth so make sure you factor that one in before you head out in the middle of summer and it's also a great place to visit in winter because you do often get slightly sunnier days even though you're only a couple of hours north and one of the places that really interests me up that way is wedge island it's a crayfishing village where i guess essentially you could call them squatters were permitted to enter into lease agreements with the local government back in the day and the makeshift town is named after a wedge-shaped island which just sits basically just off the beach for my knowledge there's around 350 shacks left at wedge unfortunately the ocean's been claiming a few and because of that the shacks are now being considered unsafe for habitation and many of the people who use the shacks for fishing holidays continue to fight to keep their beach shacks there's even people who live there permanently and if they're forced to leave they'll essentially have nowhere else to go it is a really sad story and a, a loss to the community as a whole that places like this are slowly disappearing off the map i mean sure the shy's argument that the shacks are unsafe and maybe some are some just need a little bit of TLC but I think the real argument in all of this it's land isn't it what some consider a eyesore others consider an icon who knows maybe in the future this area will be home to big mansions and manicured lawns fancy cars big boats it really wouldn't surprise me so I've been up that way a couple of times now and I guess every four-wheel drive camping adventure wouldn't be complete without a bit of a war story and there was a section of the track, and I'll put the GPS coordinates at the bottom, where the two times that I've been there, I've had issues both times. The first time, it was just a rookie mistake, really. I hadn't been formed driving long, and out there, luckily, with another vehicle. And it was just an off-camber section between two small sand dunes. It was nothing, really. And as I went down, my car went with the tide of the sand essentially and I got wedged in between the two sand dunes and I could not go anywhere. I had one sand dune directly in front of me and the back of the other small sand dune at the rear of me. We were there for a while and as we were there other people started rocking up and all the ideas that they had to me just sounded like damaging my car for no real need until one guy rocked up who knew the area and he just drove around the chicken track which none of us saw, reversed up and was able to snatch me out. And we're just fortunate that it wasn't a weekend and we were there with a guy who knew what he was on about. I did learn a lot that day. And then about a year later, I went up there on a solo trip and I uh, had the boys with me. I knew about the section, I knew it was coming up. I had in my mind prepared for it and exactly the same thing happened again. This time though, because I was more knowledgeable about tire pressures, I had the right gear, I did manage to get myself out of there relatively quickly. But it does go to show you that even when you are prepared, things still do go wrong. It's not about preparing for if they go wrong, it is about preparing for when they go wrong. And if 
you're new to four-wheel driving, you will soon learn that. And I just hope that if something like that does happen to you, that it doesn't put you off. You've got to remember, you're very, very unlikely to run into serious trouble. And as long as you go prepared, or you can get yourself out. I mean, it is adventure after all, and with every adventure there comes risk. But as well as having war stories, every adventure's got its success stories. And it was the third trip that I took up this way that I discovered a really nice campsite north of Sandy Cape, away from all the people, right on the edge of the water, with a couple of tiny little bays that we had to ourselves. And I'll put the GPS coordinates down the bottom there for you. But as I said before, if you go there, treat it with respect. The thing that I don't want to happen is have some idiots go there and leave their rubbish. Beer cans, cigarette butts, and a big ass bonfire. It makes us all look bad. It gives everyone the impression that we're just a bunch of bogans. But this spot is ideal for fishing. You get dolphins, fish jumping out the water. It is paradise. We were there towards the end of summer, so it's a little bit cooler. So I'd imagine if you are going during a long weekend or during the school holidays or that sort of thing, then well, yeah, it's probably gonna be busy. We were there during the week. We had, as far as the eye could see, all to ourselves. I guess we're getting towards the end of this podcast slash YouTube video, however you're watching it. And I wanna leave you guys with a question. Whereabouts in WA would be your most memorable four-wheel drive camping experience. It might have been when you were younger and different now. It might have been something you've recently done. If you do make videos, link them in the description below. Um, I've started a Facebook community page. So if you search for Epic Drives Western Australia, join the group. I'll happily let you join. Leave us with a story or a funny meme or anything really. Keep it relevant to four-wheel driving in Western Australia, camping, hiking, whatever, as long as it's to do with adventure. And got to have a bit of a sales pitch here. I've got merch. I've got four-wheel drive inspired shirts. Check them out at my Etsy store. It's in the description below. And on that note, I'll leave you to it. Thanks for watching Epic Drives Western Australia. And remember this, life is a journey. Best discovered, four-wheel drive. Catch up.